Open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2 this morning. That had nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. I just had to uh, let you know that it's okay that if the choir sings something or if I say something in the sermon, if you want to be like a little kid and go, yeah, that's, o- that's okay with me. Jonah chapter 2, and we're also going to look at a, a couple of, a lot of verses in the, the Bible because what we're going to talk about this morning is the, is the um, concept of idols. And especially Jonah chapter 2 verse 8 says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In the New International Version, another translation says, Those who, who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And the choir saying, uh, about amazing grace that, that that changes us, that sets us free, and I want you to, I want you to feel this this morning, because I've thought about it all week, uh, riding around doing things and just sitting and contemplating, reading and things and studying and just thinking. Do, so many times in worship, we just sort of we come in and we sing the songs and we say the Apostles' Creed, and maybe maybe once in a while. We sort of feel the weight of something. We're supposed to feel, we're supposed to feel the, the, the weight of our sin. It's supposed to bother us when we do something that, that displeases God. But on the other hand, we're supposed to feel the weight of glory. We're supposed to feel the weight of God. When Jimmy called, he had no idea where he was, where I was. He thought I was over in Rock Hill watching football or something. We were standing in the mountains in the um, the, the, the leaves are starting to change. And as I stood out, we looked over this. Uh, it was an old, old, old golf course that had been turned into a disc golf course. They don't use it as a golf course anymore. But there was one place where you, it's one of these places you look out and it just looks like it goes forever. And I didn't walk out on that little thing in that little place and go, this sure makes me feel good about myself. And that's what sometimes when we come to church, when we, when we think about worship, we come and we think, well, I want to I hear something that's going to make me feel good. When what you might need to hear today is that you have an idol and you need to deal with it. And when you do, God will become so big that he might, he'll, do, he'll do work in your heart. I want you to feel that this morning. That does have something to do with what we're going to talk about. Jonah chapter 2 verse 8 says, Those who pay regard or cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs or forsake the hope of their, stead, their hope of steadfast love. i got to do something mean just for one minute this morning. i got to talk about Chick-fil-A. When we uh, lived in Delaware, I was a manager of a Chick-fil-A restaurant, and uh, one day this man came up to the counter, and he paid, uh, I think her name was Lisa, he paid for his number one, his Chick-fil-A sandwich. He got a large fry and a large drink, and he paid for it with a $100 bill. And uh, Lisa took it, she took it, and she gave him $93 and some odd cents back in change. He got his meal, stuck his money in his pocket, and walked off. And I came by a little later. I'm supposed to count the money in the drawers at the end of people's shift, and I got this $100 bill. And I looked at it, and I thought, this looks funny. 
And if you've worked in a restaurant, a lot of places have a little yellow marker uh, that you mark the bill, and if it's the cloth that a real uh, piece of currency is made of, it'll either turn yellow or it won't. It'll sh- it's called a counterfeit marker. Well, the marker showed that it was a real piece of cloth that, um, that the money was made of. Now, I've kind of ruined my own story because he gave her a $100 bill But when we held it up and looked at it, you could see he had bleached out the $5 bill and printed a $100 bill over it. And I was furious because he lied. He took advantage of us. We lost $93 because she gave him change for the $100. It was a fake piece of currency. It was an imposter. Now, I'll tell you that. Because of this, we hate counterfeits, don't we? We don't like counterfeit money. We don't like counterfeit uh, watches. We don't like counterfeit anything. If you go to any place and you buy something is counterfeit, you don't go, oh, that's okay, do you? You get angry that somebody took advantage of you. But I want you to see this morning that the same way that we accepted that counterfeit $100 bill that day, every day we accept counterfeit gods into our life. We accept counterfeit gods, and it's the same deception, it's the same trick, except it's not somebody outside trying to trick us or take advantage of us. The Bible says our own hearts. The Bible says our own hearts produce idols. The scripture calls them idols. Now, I brought something this morning. I got this in Ghana. It's something something that you hang on the wall. But when I said idols, some of you thought this. Some of you thought, oh, idols are little dolls and things over in third world countries where they don't know about the true God. And they keep these things and they put them on their walls and they worship and they bow down to them. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible makes fun of them. God makes fun of them. God says you make things with mouths and his mouth won't go like yours will. His nose, he can't smell anything. His eyes, they can't see anything. And I think it's in Isaiah that God says you make your own idols. You make these things and they can't even do anything for you. And so what we're going to talk about is worthless idols. I want us to dive in and look and see what, uh, not just Jonah, but as I looked at Scripture uh, preparing for this, the, 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 the idea of idols are from Genesis to Revelation. First of all, number one, what's the, the scope of idolatry in Scripture? The, the scope of it, it's, it's, on, it's in just about every book of the Bible Scripture addresses idolatry from Genesis to Revelation. And we think of, you know, as people that live in other countries that worship a God that they, or maybe if you study Greek mythology in high school or college, you know that there were other gods. Or when we say American Idol, what do you think of? You think of that TV show where Simon Cowell and those people, they judge singers and they pick the American Idol. Well, I want you to see this morning that what the Bible means 
is that the human heart is an idol factory. The human heart is an idol factory. In the same way that big car companies in Michigan produce cars, our human heart produces idols. And even good things, the Bible says the human heart can take good things like our family, our career, things that we love, material possessions, our children, money, sex, political power, and we can turn those things into things that that we worship. We don't necessarily sing to them and and come and and we give money to them. But it's not something like we do in church, but here's what I mean. The good things in life can become the center of our life because they can give us significance and security. How many people do you know? They think they're somebody because they drive a nice, fancy car or nice, fancy clothes. That's what I mean. One of my favorite movies is called The Lord of the Rings by J.R. Tolkien. Did any of you see the Lord of the Rings movies? There's one movie uh, in there, uh, I think it's the first one, but you know, there's the ring. And anybody, you're not supposed to have the ring because the ring does crazy things to some people. The ring is called the ring of power and it corrupts anybody that tries to use it. And there's one particular character in the Lord of the Rings movies. His, his name is Smeagol. And he turns into Gollum. Now, I wish I had an overhead to show you a picture of what this guy... He looks like a normal person in one movie. But as he starts to... He wants the power that that ring has. And he goes from being a nice-looking, normal person. He starts to become all wrinkled. And this is not just aging. He starts to become wrinkled. And then as the, the desires of his heart... For that ring starts to change. At the end, in this movie, he turns into this grotesque green character with big ugly eyeballs that, that eats lizards and, and the, the junk in the in the in the ponds and things. And Tolkien's trying to Tolkien was a Christian and he's trying to tell us something that we have things that we love that we go to that we give ourselves to, and if if we don't kill those things, we become this little green, grotesque, on the inside monster. That it ruins relationships around us. The ring uh, makes them willing to do anything to keep it. And that's what an idol does in our hearts. Notice what God says in the Ten Commandments. God says in the very first commandment, I'm the Lord, Exodus 20, verse 2, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have what? No other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water underneath them, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, why would God tell us that? Because the reality of it is, because we're so infected with sin that we take the one true living God and we replace Him for a counterfeit. The very first commandment tells us that God says, don't, don't have any other gods before me. And he says, nothing in heaven or on the earth or earth below. That's everything in the world. 
God knows that we can make anything into a god or an idol. Now, why did God start with that one? Have you ever thought about that? Why did God start with that's the first commandment? Because idolatry is the reason why we ever do anything wrong. Idolatry is why we, we sin. Let me give you some examples. In effect, if I put to death the idols of my heart, I won't murder anybody. I'll seek life. I won't commit adultery. I'll treat my spouse with honor. If I put to death idols and I put the one true God first in my life, I won't steal. I'll trust the Lord to provide for what uh, what I need and I won't be driven my, by my desires. I won't lie or bear false witness. I'll tell the truth because my reputation... You know, the reason why most of us lie, we value our reputation. Our reputation is more important to us than God is. And we tell and we, we cover over things so that our reputation won't be damaged. And it's an idol that has to be put to death. In other words... You could turn this around and say, if we fail to love our family, our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our world, my neighbor, it's because probably I've got an idol. Well, I don't want to go across the street and talk to my new neighbor. What are they going to think of me? If you don't care about yourself as, an, as a reputation idol, it doesn't matter what they think of you. Jonah knew this. Jonah chapter 2 verse 8. He says those, if we cling to worthless idols, we forfeit God's blessing in our lives. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 says, For although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, people all over the world look and say there is a God, there, there's somebody out there, there's something out there, and He's God, and, but I don't want to do anything. I don't, I don't want Him to have authority over me. And so I'll replace Him with something that I can, that, that, that I can control. Romans 1 also tells us that God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Jonah knew that. And Paul knew it. And Paul says we exchange other things for the one true God and just let me give you a short list to help you identify some common idols because I wrote down and I examined my own heart. These are things that I struggle with. I struggle, I, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, I, I want to be comfortable. Anybody tries to make me uncomfortable, we're going to have problems. I like uh, respect. Oh, everybody likes to be respected, don't you? We, uh, appreciation can be an idol. Success can be an idol. Control. Uh, for example, comfort. If I come home from work from a hard day and I've been out, you know, preparing sermons or, or, or doing whatever, I come in and my kids say, Dad, will you help us fix this thing or will you play ball? I'm like, don't you children understand? 
I've been working hard all day. I just want to kick back in my recliner and have a big tall glass of sweet tea and just don't bother me. Now, if they come and bug me, they're messing with my idol. Y'all are really quiet this morning. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or I want it. This is my schedule. And this is what I, I got to do today. And somebody, something, a, a traffic jam messes it up. You ever got stuck in one of these Charlotte Jaffrey traffic jams? It will mess with your beyond time idol. My child, one of my kids, I, I knew this was a problem when one of my, I think it was my son Jonathan, he came up one day when he was just a little kid and he said, Dad, why do you get so mad? I thought, something's not right. Something's not right. I come home and I want my comfort idol and he messed it up. The secret to change and to grow is a disciple of Jesus Christ is to identify and dismantle your idol. In other words, if this is your, if this is if this is my comfort idol, I got to know what it is and I got to take it apart. That's what it means to grow as a Christian. I I, I, I hope that you've heard this morning. Point number two this morning: How to discern what your idols are. And you might I, I should have put these in the bulletin. So get a piece of paper and write these down. These are four ways that you can know of what your idols might be. The first one is the imagination test. And that's a good sound. I like to hear it when I say write something down and people start writing stuff down. This isn't, you're not just making me feel good. If you sit there and you don't write it down, is, are the sermons online? You can come back and listen to it. But listen, this is important. This is more important than if the Panthers beat the Saints today, Okay. How do you discern what your idols are? Number one, there's the imagination test. Where does your mind go in your solitude? You might say, well, I got four kids. I don't have any solitude. Well, yes, you do. What do you do? Where does your mind go in your solitude? When nothing else demands your time, where do your thoughts go? What do you daydream about? When you're riding in the car, and let's say you're sitting in one of those horrendous stop, you know, traffic jams around somewhere. Maybe you're sitting in, in a school line, the, the school uh, parking lot, waiting to pick up your kids or whatever. What do you daydream about? What do you go back to time and time? I'm not talking about just one time. I'm talking about over and over and over. What do you contemplate about? What do you plan? I'll tell you what a lot of older folks, what an idol is, retirement. In retirement in the Bible? No. But you start messing with somebody's retirement and they will punch you in the nose with their, with their thoughts. What do you daydream about? What do you plan about? Not just one or two times, but what are the habits that you, of your heart that, that you get joy, that, you com- that, 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 that gives you comfort? It's a good indicator that that's an idol. Number two, the money test. What do you spend your money on? How do you spend your, the money that God has entrusted to you? Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
My mom and dad have, a, have one of these vinyl liner swimming pools that's kind of down in the ground. We, we couldn't afford a concrete pool like Jethro Bodine. You know, he got a concrete pond. You know that old TV show? We had to get a vinyl liner. And every once in a while, something will poke a hole in that liner. And we'll notice because water will leak out of it. Kind of like your bank account. You keep spending money on this idol that you have, this thing that you love, this thing that, 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 that you spend money on it, and it makes you feel good, and it makes you feel like somebody. It'll, it'll drain you. It just won't drain your bank account. You'll turn into a golem. But you know how we found out what, how, where there was a leak in the pool? We saw the water leaking out, but we had to figure out where the hole was. We took food coloring, and we put just a couple of drops of food coloring in the swimming pool, and the green food coloring always goes to the hole. And this is the, what, what I want you to see. Your money always goes to where your treasure is. That's how you can know what your idol is. What, do you, what Your money goes to your greatest love. You spend too much money on it, and you've got to constantly have it. And really, you don't control it, it controls you. If God in His grace is what you love the most, then you'll love to, you know, it shouldn't be any problem. You need to be adding some missionaries to this place. You need to be given to this church. You need to be given so much that you say, we got so much, stop. What if Bruce got up here one, money, one morning and said, stop giving. We don't know what to do with it all. What would happen around here? But we spend money on what we love. Most of us overspend on clothing, our children, our homes, our cars, our hobbies. And uh, spending patterns reveal what our idols are. Number three, the Savior test. So there's the imagination test. What do you daydream about? Number two, uh, the, the money test. What do you spend all your money on? Number three is the Savior test. What is your functional Savior? You know, what in the world? We... These nice-looking gentlemen come up here and we recite the Apostles' Creed and we say, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. But we go out on Monday through Saturday and we say, I believe, I told my wife this one once, I said, I believe that if I buy you a go-kart for your birthday, I'll feel really, you'll feel really good. Now, I'm exaggerating, okay? Maybe it was a, maybe it was a boat. I'll buy you a boat for your birthday and you'll feel really good. I'll take you out on the boat. That was all about me, wasn't it? The functional test. What do you really live for? Now, I know that was the dumbest illustration you probably could have ever heard of. Nobody would buy their wife a boat. But just fill in the blank. What do you really live for? What do you... How do we tell? How do you respond when you pray and pray and pray and pray for something and it never gets answered or it's frustrated? Do you pray for something and you don't get it? Or are you sad and disappointed? Then you, then, or do, do you just get over it? Or is there, there this explosive anger? I know people that they have their heart set on this and they pray to God for it. I know people that have, that have stood by the deathbed of one of their loved ones. And you would think, good Christian people. And we, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for, for this loved one to be healed and God didn't heal him. 
Well, I'm not having anything else to do with God. Well, you know what the idol was? Your health. That person's health. Do we go ballistic when we don't get that what what we when we don't get what we want? That's the savior test. If I if I have this, it will save me. If I have this, it will it will make me feel like somebody. It will give me significance. It'll it'll make me somebody. Number four, the emotional test. Look at your most un- uncontrollable emotion. When you see a fish, you guys like, I, I probably, I mean, everybody likes to fish, right? When you see a fish, you're out fishing and you see the water kind of roll, you know, oh, that, that's, that's, there's a fish there, so throw it over there, right? Well, when you have this uncontrollable emotion, when you've got something, it's some, maybe it's anger, or maybe it's pity, or maybe it's depression, and you can't get what you want, that's under the current. What drives you to do things that you know are wrong? When you get angry, ask yourself, is there something here too important for me? Is there something that I've got to have it? And if I don't get it, why, why do I get so angry? It's because you're putting something in the place of God. It can be fear or despair or guilt. Am I so scared because something in my life is being threatened that I think it's a necessity when it's not? I'll tell you how, let me shorten this up. If I had blank, then I would be really happy. I've had to deal with this without having a church for about six months. And we and I have been talking about this and... I sort of processed my own heart, and I had to come to the place where God said, if I didn't ever put you in the place of a pastor again, would you be okay with that? And at first, it kind of stung. Because you know what? You feel really good by being a pastor. People love you. They call you when they're sick. It makes you feel important. When you stand at the back door and people tell you, oh, that was such a good sermon, it makes you feel good. I start to believe it. And I go home and I'm driving over back over rock and I think, yeah, I'm pretty good. And God says, who gave you the voice? Who gave you the mouth? Who gave you the brain? God says, if I didn't give you the Bible, you wouldn't have anything to say. What would you talk about? Football? That's one that I deal with. If I had this, then I would be really happy. Take some time this week and focus and be honest with your own heart and see what God says. Number three, how do we, how do we replace idols? If we take out one idol and, and, and put it to death, we have to replace it with something else. It's like weeds or it's like your garden. You go out in the garden and you pull up one weed You pull up another weed, you come back two days later, there's like three more weeds. Or this is what happens. You go and, you know, I I did this one time. My dad said, I want you to go pull all the weeds out of the garden. So I got the weed eater. I took the weed eater and I went right down through the tomatoes in the corn and I cut all the weeds down. I said, I did what you told me. He said, no, son. He said, you don't, you can't cut them down. They'll just grow back. You've got to pull them up by the roots. That's what God tells us. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. If then you've been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of this earth. You hear idolatry there? Set your things on Christ, not the things of this earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears. When Christ, who, when I say, if you had this, would you be happy? You should say, all I need is Jesus. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All of those things. I've dabbled a little bit into counseling. All of those things, when somebody comes and they say, I've I've got sexual immoral problems, there's an idol there. I covet. I don't, I don't. I can't even keep a budget. I don't know what. There's an idol there. And you see, we can't just cut down the weeds. We have to pull them up by the roots. That passage is key because what we treasure, what we treasure, when we treasure Christ, He will become our. He will become. He's our God. Jesus might become more beautiful in your imagination, mere attraction to your heart than your idols when you start to look at, look at what's really going on. I've, I've got two good friends, and uh, both of them fell into emotional relationships with other women. And both of them over, overcame. They overcame because their marriages were repaired and they went back and they, they, they saw what their idols were and they saw that how to treasure Christ and He would help them love their wives more. That's more important. It's more important to spend time with Christ. Now be patient. I know I dumped a lot. Every, every time I'm... I've been here, somebody comes out the back and says, you sure gave us a lot to think about. I know it's a lot. But listen, it's a lifelong process. Let me leave you with this. If I told you tonight, everybody come over to my house. We're going to have, my, my dad uh, had a farm and he's got some cows and we had one butchered and whatever you like. If you like ribeye steak, I'm going to put one on the grill for you. If you like, uh, uh, what's another steak? What's your favorite steak? T-bone, prime rib. Ooh. If I told you tonight, remind me of your name. Remind me of your name. Steve, Steve. If I said, Steve, come over tonight. I got this ribeye. I'm going to put bacon around it. It is going to be so good. Now, y'all think about this, aren't you? You've got this pictured in your mind. You won't believe my wife's baked potatoes. And we figured out this way to put corn on the grill. It, you, your tongue is going to slap your ears, slam off. He would think about that. All, he could think about that all day and think, I can't wait. to. Ha- that is going to be such a good meal. Or... He could go around the corner and go to the corner pantry and buy a big box of Twinkies and eat them all day. When he gets to my house tonight, 
you're going to have to put this in a to-go box. I, I can't eat it all. Well, Steve, why? I, I ate Twinkies all afternoon. Now, what would you think of him? Here's my point. God comes to us and he says, I am the prime rib that will satisfy all that you have ever longed for. And sometimes we say, no, thank you. I think I'll go have a box of Twinkies. That's what it's like. We're idol factories, and God tells us your biggest problem is what you love and what you go to to save you. Let's bow together and pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and uh, maybe this is the first time we've ever heard something like this. Maybe you put your finger on something in our life. Maybe something. Somebody here just gets over, just totally blows fuses in their brain when they can't have something that they want. It's an idol. I pray that you would show us what those things are in our life that we spend our money on, that demand our attention. That that I know that there's students here, and it's a struggle. I've been there to to struck. It's a struggle to think if I look a certain way, if I wear this, wear the right clothes, and everybody will like me. That that's an idol, and it stand it'll stand in the way of our relationship with you. I pray that you would give us grace to look into your word as a mirror, and that you'd show us not to stuff our hearts with Twinkies all the time, but to long. For Jesus Christ. Those Twinkies of the world won't satisfy us, but the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for us will. We thank You for all that You do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.